Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. We are, uh, I am ready to jump into it again. So if you've looked ahead and you've seen what we're talking about this morning, I'm sure nobody can relate to this, judgy and offended. I love that word, judgy. In fact, I wrote it down getting ready for this weekend, judgy. And then I thought, is that a real word? Because the, the, the English majors, you know, the, the grammar Nazis, they would tell me if it wasn't. So I looked it up, and it turns out judgy is a word. But only since about 2000. <laughs> Around about 2000, the word judgy became so commonly used, it entered into the lexicon. Judge E. You can spell it with an E or without it, turns out. It means the same thing. Judgy. The last 20 years have been judgy, haven't they? Ooh. But it turns out judgy and offended isn't, isn't really new at all, is it? It's been around forever. In fact, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this famous thing about being judgy. Do not judge others. Luke chapter 6. Man, we love that verse. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. That might be the most popular verse in the Bible with people who don't like the Bible. You'll catch that later. Man, we love that verse. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you forgive others and you will be forgiven it turns out this doesn't mean exactly what we think it means right because let's be honest everybody everybody judges like you you have to make judgment calls every day to make good decisions you go to the refrigerator, you open it up, and there's that half gallon of milk. Seems like it's been there a while. So you look at the date, right? And then, then maybe if it's close and you're desperate, I have a rule in life. If anybody asks me to smell anything, the answer is always no. No. And you people who just test it to see, you're next level. I don't understand that. Like, we all judge. We, we, we take things in. We make evaluations. And then we make decisions based on our judgment. It turns out, as you might guess, that's not what this verse is talking about when it says do not judge others and you will not be judged 
It actually follows it up. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Here's what it's giving to us. It's talking here about prejudging people and deciding who is worthy of grace. Prejudging who is worthy of grace and who is worthy of condemnation. But then it oddly links it together with something else. Forgive. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. It turns out that judgy and offended are cousins. They kind of go together. In fact, in the next chapter, there's this, there's this great story that illustrates for us judgy and offended. And I think it helps us to answer a, a good pre-question. Why is it so easy to be judgy? Why is it so easy? Because it's easy. I mean, let's confess all the time. And why is it so hard for us to let go of offenses? I mean, really, why is it so easy to... And then why is it so hard for us to, to release offenses when both of these things are at the heart of what it looks like to follow Jesus? Why is it so easy to be judgy? And why is it so, so hard to let go of offenses? Well, Jesus tells a story, and part of it, he's involved in the story. Let me read it to you, um, and we'll make a couple of points along the way. The next chapter, Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 we pick up in. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home to eat. He sat down, and he's eating with the Pharisees. And some of the Pharisees were his worst enemies, and some of them were genuinely searching. And so it says in verse 37 that the tables are turned, and it says that it says a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he, Jesus, was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside, uh, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. I mean, if you're reading this and it sounds awkward, it was awkward. Like, sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh, wow, the customs were weird back then. no. This was awkward back then, too. The, the language that is used here about this woman is the language that would have been used for a, a, a scandalous woman, probably a woman who has a, a reputation as a prostitute. When it says that she wiped his feet with her hair, one of the, the most scandalous things you could do was to literally let down your hair. And here she is, she's, she's, got, she's kissing his feet. It's this intimate scene and everybody is like what is going on it's awkward it's tense 
In fact, in the next verse, verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he, he said to himself, ah, this is what he thought, I blew it. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. You, you see, the Pharisees were judging her and they were offended at Jesus. What is going on here? And Jesus answered his thoughts, verse 40, by saying, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Woo, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. We'll get, we'll, get, we'll get back to that in a moment. They were judgy. What is he? This woman! We know all we need to know. And from where they were sitting, it made perfect sense. They were doing the math. And the math wasn't complicated. She was a hot mess. And Jesus was either oblivious or complicit. And neither was a good look for a prophet. And so they were offended judgy and offended man because from where they were sitting the math was easy but maybe maybe the problem is with where they were sitting you, you see where we are seated determines our perspective in fact, one of the most famous passages in, uh, in Psalms, a very opening verse says it this way. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man, and watch the language here, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Listen, your life, your, your perspective, your, your perspective is going to be developed by your people around you. How you see things, how you judge things is going to be determined from where you're sitting. So be careful where you sit. Because sometimes where you sit means you miss things you, you needed to see. We did a little survey last week. For those of you who are here, you remember, we, we discovered that a hot dog is not a sandwich. <laughs> see, I know how to get on the popular side, right? If I'd said a hot dog is a sandwich, there'd have been like one or two people. We agreed, hot dog, not a sandwich. Here's another survey. How many... When you fly, you, uh, how, how many people, you, you, you pick the aisle seat, aisle seat, uh, oh, a lot of, ooh, ooh, a lot of, how many pick the window? Man, about evenly divided. I'm a window person. All my window people out there. Let me explain the window to you. I want to be the first person that notices if the plane is blowing up. <laughs> I want to look out the window. I want to see it. I'm vigilant. I will let someone know. I want the bonus material of seeing the Grand First time I ever saw the Grand Canyon is because I had a window seat. It's like 10 more years before I got to see it up close, but I saw it from the sky. 
And part of it is too, like, it, like I create a little cave by the window. I'm one of those people that you can sit next to for eight hours and you will not know my name. I'm gonna get near the window and I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a little cubicle there. I'm gonna look out the window, little, little safe space over here and I am, I am gone. But I like, I like seeing stuff, perspective. I'm not trying to sell you on a window seat, but I do want to give you a question you can ask that helps you to gain perspective. And it helps us not to be judgy and offended. Here's the question. When did I receive grace. It's a simple question, right? Hey, when did I receive grace? When did I find forgiveness? When was I alone and somebody walked up alongside me? When did I meet good fortune? When was, I, when was I blessed? Where did I encounter an unexpected, maybe undeserved, but desperately needed grace? That's a powerful question. When did I? I didn't ask you, by the way, have you received enough grace? Or did you receive grace every time you wanted it? I just asked, when? When was a moment in your life where you just remember being the recipient of grace, of generosity, of forgiveness, of goodness? And you've never forgotten that moment you see that's a powerful question and I, I think in some ways while it's not the direct question that Jesus is about to ask it it, it sums it up because you remember Jesus just said something he said I have something to say to you and he's about to say it and and what he says illustrates this for us pretty well. Here, here's what happens. In verse 41, then Jesus told him this story. Right? So he says, Simon, let me tell you a story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay. So... He kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Woo. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, that's an interesting question. And Simon answered, I, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. You can see Simon's not getting it, and maybe we aren't either. He, he's not done pressing in. He, he needs him to understand a, a little bit more. He, 
If I could, he wants them to understand the, the power of this question. Where did I receive grace and, and, and how it changes things? You see, this question does two things for you. And if you're taking notes, writing things down, or if you've just got a good memory, here's something to take note of. When I ask the question, when did I receive grace? It helps me to switch seats. Watch what happens. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman, so he's told his story, and now he turns to the woman and said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, look at this woman kneeling here. You see that? I, I want you, to, I want you to, to take your eyes off of yourself and off of your people, and I want you to switch seats for a moment. I want you to change your perspective. Then he says, When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Huh. Got real quiet in there. Man. You see what happened? Jesus just, he just took the moment and he, he switched it. He said, I want you to sit in a different seat. I, I, I want you to see what could have been, what should have been. I just, I want to, I want to flip the script. You, you see, this is what the question does. It, it makes us sit in a different seat and see life from a different perspective. But here's the truth. Nobody likes to do that. No, nobody, nobody likes to switch seats. Nobody likes to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Nope, nobody likes doing that. Let me, let me take another survey. I didn't, I didn't finish, did I? How many, raise your hands, how many of you, every chance you get, you pick the middle seat on the plane? I knew there'd be one. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Bargain hunter. No. I don't pick the middle seat. Oh, pick the middle seat. Man, I love the middle seat. I love people's arms all over me. It's the greatest feeling. I love it when random strangers put their head on my shoulder and fall asleep and snore. That may have actually happened to me. Man. We don't, we don't pick it on purpose. But this question sort of puts me in a position where it says, hey, 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 I just want you to see things from a different perspective. I want you to switch seats. When did I receive grace? What did that feel like for me? How did my life look? Where was I alone? 
And somebody came and walked with me. Where was I afraid? And somebody came and they were my courage. Where was I out of options and somebody stepped up? Where was I that I didn't deserve forgiveness and someone gave it to me anyway? It just helps me to switch those seats. And, and, and here, here's the other thing that it does. It, 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 it helps me. And if you look at, you look at this passage or sentence about it, 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 if I could put it this way, it, it helps me to revisit the relief of grace. Watch what happens up to this point. She doesn't know what the, the outcome is. And so in verse 47, Jesus says, oh, let me, let me finish this up for you. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Relief. You you see, this, this question helps me to revisit the, 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 the relief that I felt when I encountered grace. You see, the, the dominant emotion of the Christian life is relief. It's not victory. Victory comes. It's not dominion. Though God has given us a role in this world, It's relief. It all starts with relief. We encountered Jesus Christ and our lives were forever changed. We encountered him in desperation and he rescued us. And we've never been the same. So when did you receive relief? Grace. And how did it feel? I have a story about that I want to tell. But first, um, I'm going to introduce a couple of my friends who are here. So Herb and Pat, would you stand up so we can welcome you? These are my friends, Herb and Pat Rawlings. Thank you. I wanted to do that before I told a little story. I met Herb and Pat, I'm going to date you guys, I'm sorry, 25 years ago. When Tammy and I were just getting started, we were little babies, and we had a little baby church. About six years old, we had just moved into a first building. I was still working a job, delivering newspapers for the Cape Cod Times to make ends meet, and Herb and Pat came into our lives. Herb had just taken over. 25 years ago, he had just taken on a new career. He was heading up a family foundation, and he was 65. I'm going to let you do the math. (laughs) That family foundation found their way to uh, just God's calling to build youth camps around the world. They've built, over the last 25 years, 14 youth camps with evangelistic outreach. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) Hang on. Last year, in those youth camps, they had over 400,000 kids they brought to camp for free. And best of all, last year, uh, over 100,000 embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior at those camps. 
I don't know about you, I think that's a pretty incredible retirement gig. I'm like, man, I met you when you were supposed to be retiring, and a couple months ago, Herb sent me a picture. He was, I think, in the Dominican and just finishing up a renovation of a camp and sent me some pictures, and we got talking, and we needed to reconnect, so they came up to visit with us this weekend. And it got me reminiscing. 25 years ago, when we were just getting started, we had built this little church building, and uh, we, had, we had moved in and just finished the building, and Cape Cod Church was just starting to see a little bit of growth and some people coming, and we had taken out a second mortgage. Just, I mean, it was, I, I think it was $15,000, and that was our money. That was like half the money we had to start to do the construction on the building. I'm telling you, it didn't make any, didn't make any sense. It wasn't good planning, but God, God used it. We got into this little building, and the note was like for, th- for three years, but a year into it, the, the guy who had loaned it to us had sold us the property came and he just had some things come up in his life and he needed it back. And he said, hey, can you, can you repay? I'm like, I'm delivering newspapers. I did not have a strategic plan. We weren't like banking money to get ready to repay. We didn't have 15,000. We didn't have 1,500 in the bank. I said, I don't, I don't know. And I called the only person I knew to call. I called Herb. I said, I don't even know what to say to this guy. He said, well, negotiate him down. <laughs> He's a good businessman. We did. I think we offered 10000 and he started to cry. And I said, he said, could you do thirteen? And I said, I don't know where I'm going to get thirteen. Herb called me that night. And he said, Ben, he's from Kentucky, so he talks weird. (laughs) He said, what did he say? He said he'd take 13. And here's what Herb said. Ooh, we need to pay him before he changes his mind. I'm going to wire you the money in the morning. Listen. Here's what I remember most about that conversation. One word. We. We. Not you. We. Like we is in this together. I've never forgotten that. And I've never forgotten the feeling of relief. Of just someone stepping up alongside. And I got to tell you, The last 25 years have been just story after story after story of increasing story of God's generosity and goodness to his people here at Cape Cod Church. But I've never forgotten that moment. And my guess is you can look back in your life and you can look at the places where you received grace and how it felt. Where you needed forgiveness and you found it. Where you needed a hand up and somebody gave it to you. Where you needed somebody to walk alongside and say we instead of you and you found it. I'm not saying you found it everywhere and all the time, but you found someone and you can remember it. And going back to that place changes how we judge others and how we hold on to offense. And as memorable as that moment was, 
it pales in comparison to the relief I found and many of you have found when you met Jesus. And you encountered him at a place of brokenness and need and he gave you grace, forgiveness, the gift of salvation. And you may be here and you're just, you're thinking, Ben, I've never, I've never encountered that. I've never felt that. And I'm just here to say, that's why Jesus came. That's the gift he came to give you, the gift of grace, the forgiveness of sins once and for all. And when you or I hear him knocking at our heart and we answer and we say yes, we experience a forgiveness that literally changes our lives. And I can't think of a better way to finish today than by giving you the chance to embrace that gift as your own if you've never done it. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here and you'd say, man, I need... I need to experience the relief of grace in Jesus to trust in him. I'm not asking if you got it all figured out and you know all the answers. I'm saying if you come to the end of your options for figuring it out and fixing it, and you're ready to accept Jesus and what he did for you on the cross as your Savior once and for all. It's the gift of grace. If that's you, then I invite you in the quiet of the moment to pray something like this. To yourself, God will hear it in heaven. Dear God, you know me and everything about me. And I accept you today as my Savior. I embrace your gift of forgiveness as my own. And Jesus, I trust in you. And I want to live my life fully for you. Help me now to walk and live in the shadow of your grace the rest of my life. I pray in Jesus' name.